Greetings to all of you. Over the last few months, we've been preaching from the Gospel of Matthew, and this is how we've been doing it, by dividing the book into various thematic sermon series. We just finished a series called Thy Kingdom Come, where we focused on the miracles of Jesus that confirmed his divine authority over the forces that oppose God's kingdom. And today I'm starting another new series called Embracing Discipleship. Over the next few weeks, we will explore this theme from the Gospel of Matthew as Jesus recruits disciples and commissions them as his ambassadors. The theme of discipleship is at the very heart of Matthew's Gospel. The word disciple is not necessarily a spiritual term. It simply means a student. You know, the question is not, are you a disciple? But whose disciple are you? We all are disciples shaped by whatever gives meaning and purpose to our life. If Jesus is our Lord and Master, His influence shapes our life. A discipleship is more than adhering to certain doctrines. For we are called and not just to believe in Jesus, but to walk in his steps. That's why the key word for discipleship in all four gospels is the word follow. Jesus doesn't call us to just change our religion or merely adjust our belief system to accommodate him. But when a person commits their life to Jesus Christ, they embark on a lifelong journey of following Christ. Whether we've been a Christian for a day or we've been Christians for years, we all are disciples of Jesus actively pursuing Christ as he leads the way. Do you know what is the greatest issue facing the church today? In my opinion, this is the most critical issue facing the church. Are the people who call themselves Christians willing to live like disciples, students, apprentices of Jesus? Are we willing to be shaped by his will, his purpose, his priorities, and his kingdom? This sermon series is a challenge for us to move from being believers to followers, from hearers to doers, from spectators who just sit on the sidelines to those who are active in the game. Today, we are going to see what responding to this call of discipleship looks like. And we're going to learn how not to follow Jesus, and then look at a role model who exemplifies what it truly means to follow Christ. Now, I'm going to ask you all to stand wherever you're watching this to honor the reading of God's word as we read from Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 to 22, and Matthew 9, verse 9. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake, Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, 
Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Now those two examples are how not to follow Jesus, but now here we have the role model. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, our hearts are ready to hear from you, and it is our desire to follow you like Matthew, instantly, obediently, all the way. So would you speak to us even today to teach us to be faithful disciples of the Lord Jesus who will bring glory and honor to your name. So we give this time into your hands. We pray this in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Just a few months ago, I received an invitation to attend a special gathering. It's a meeting of Hindu background Christian believers from North America to be held in Texas. And of course, because of the COVID-19 crisis, this event was canceled. But last week, I participated in a Zoom call with some of the fellow participants. And we had a great time sharing testimonies of how we came to faith in Christ. It was incredible to know that we were not alone in this, but God's grace has reached out to many more people like us. There were people from all over the United States, from California to Maine. I was the only Canadian in this group. You know, every testimony had this in common. This was the binding theme, the cost of following Jesus. One man narrated about how he had such a close relationship with his dad while he was growing up. Even when he went to university and moved to a different city, his father would make every excuse to visit him week after week. His friends would make fun of him saying, wow, your dad really misses you. And that's how close they were as father and son. And then one day, this man came to faith in Christ and his father stopped talking to him. And even after years, their relationship is still strained And this has become the biggest source of pain in his life. Now let me ask you a question. The cost of discipleship, is it only for those who come to faith in Christ from a different worldview? Is it only for a small group of Christians who happen to live in the wrong side of the world? No. As I read the Gospels, It is very clear to me, discipleship is costly. The call to follow Jesus has a price attached to it. 
It does not matter where you're from, what is your background, whether you had a Christian upbringing or not, Jesus sets the terms for everyone who wants to be his disciple. We have to deny ourselves, take up the cross, and follow him. There is no other way in the Gospels. See, discipleship isn't a casual activity to which we give partial allegiance. It's not a hobby or leisure, something that we just do in our spare time. This is all-consuming. It is our absolute priority. See, in the midst of the miracles in Matthew chapter 8, we have a passage that has been weaved in that emphasizes on the cost of discipleship. And you may wonder, what is the rationale for its placement in between a series of miracles? It's easy to be admirers, spectators who are dazzled by Jesus' power. But Jesus is calling people to move forward from being fans to followers, from staying on the fringes to entering into a dynamic relationship with him. So here is the first would-be disciple that we meet in our text. Look at verses 18 and 19. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, you know, I want you to... Notice this, there's a crowd around Jesus. So if ever there is an opportunity for Jesus to recruit disciples, this was it from a marketing point of view, a great moment. So when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, this person interrupts Jesus from the crowd and expresses his desire in public to follow Jesus. A text says that he is a scribe, a teacher of the law, a respectable occupation in those days, like that of a university professor today. And he makes this statement, I will go wherever You want me to go. That is quite something. This man sees Jesus as a great rabbi, a master teacher, and he wants to join his school. Disciples in those days looked at different rabbis, and after checking them all out, they decided who they were going to associate themselves with. So it's like applying for a university. You get to pick So go with the best. Having examined several others, this man goes for Jesus. It's like this guy saying, Jesus, I am going to do you a big favor. And look at your disciples. They are a motley crew of ordinary folks, fishermen, nobodies. But look at my resume. I have better qualifications. I'm a teacher of the law, know the Bible, have a great intellect, so make me one of your students. From his own perspective, the scribe was ready 
eager, enthusiastic. Jim Shaddix, who teaches at Southeastern Seminary, points out, as you read the Gospels, you will notice Jesus spends about the same time talking people out of following him as he did into, into following him. And that's what we see in Jesus' response. It is striking. Look at verse 20. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Rather than high-fying this guy and welcoming him as his latest recruit, Jesus discourages him. Now, Jesus was not a homeless person like we would refer to a homeless person today. He stayed in a house in Capernaum as part of their oikos, their household. But he traveled all over the region of Galilee as an itinerant preacher. So Jesus is saying, if you follow me, you will not have a settled life. He cuts to the heart of the matter. Following him is not an easy challenge. Discipleship is hard and not for the faint-hearted. Jesus is not going to offer a pleasant sightseeing trip where you get to see all the cool miracles that he performs. Jesus is saying here, following me will cost you. It will cost you a nice, easy, cozy life. Remember who Jesus is talking here to. A scribe, a teacher of the law. Now there's another verse in the gospel that points to us why Jesus seems to be so harsh and abrupt here. Now look at Mark chapter 12, verses 38 and 39. As he taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes, some kind of a special costume to set them apart and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues, a place of distinction for them and the places of honor at banquets. See, that's the kind of people these teachers of the law, these scribes were, at least the majority of them. They were after status and making a name for themselves. So this scribe sees Jesus as the Ivy League, the path to his own stardom. Get associated with a rock star rabbi, earn the right credentials, the certification that is required so that you can have a large following. And Jesus says to him, I offer none of that. My path will not boost your status or reputation. In fact, you will have to lay down your status and reputation in order to follow me. And when Jesus mentions here, even animals have places where they rest, but I have nowhere to lay my head, what he's implying is following Jesus doesn't have your personal fulfillment as its main objective, but God's purposes. 
See, that is Jesus' subtle way of saying, I don't guarantee you health, wealth, security, physical blessings, comfort, a life of ease. I don't owe you any of that. The only thing, in fact, I'll guarantee you is my presence. I will walk with you through this journey. Is that enough motivation for you to follow me? Now, this may seem like harsh to some of us, but it made so much sense to those who read the Gospel of Matthew, the original audience. Because the early church lived in an environment of persecution and following Jesus would mean that they would lose everything. And this makes total sense to many people in so many different parts of the world. The people who find it hard to grasp are those of us in our comfortable existence following a consumer brand of Christianity. Discipleship is countercultural. It goes against the tide. Our culture today teaches us to shun discomfort and embrace everything that is comfortable. The other day, I got an email from a pizza place near our home, and this is what the email said Be a hero, stay home, and get your pizza delivered. Seriously, if our idea of heroism and sacrifice is about staying home and getting pizza delivered, man, we are in big trouble. No wonder the celebrities, the wrong people get so much publicity and attention in the world today. Let me ask you, Have you ever said to Jesus, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you take me. I am sold out. I'm all in. Whatever you want me to do, I will do. This life is yours. I know some of you did that years ago. Do you remember that? Do you still mean it? Are you still serious about it? Over these years, I've come across many people, many people who showed initial enthusiasm in following Jesus. And when they heard about this offer of salvation and eternal life, they said, this looks interesting. This looks promising. I want it. But when they realize what it actually takes to follow Jesus, all of a sudden they conclude they are not cut out for it. Hear me. Jesus does not want our shallow commitments. He doesn't want lofty promises. He wants you to examine your heart to see whether you have it in you to follow him. Jesus will not lower the bar to woo anyone into his fault. 
Christian author John Stott puts it this way. Jesus never concealed the fact that his religion included a demand as well as an offer. The offer is free, but the demand is total. The over-enthusiastic disciple in our text failed to grasp the cost of following Jesus. Now let's look at the second person in our text, verse 21. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Now again, when you look at this from the outset, it seems like a reasonable request. This disciple has to take care of an imminent personal emergency before committing himself to following Jesus. And when your father is dead, what is wrong in doing the funeral? Is that not important? How can that interfere with your commitment to following Jesus? Well, if you pay careful attention to the text, you will see that the man is using an expression that was common in those times. Let me bury my father doesn't mean the father is dead. It means that this person has the obligation of taking care of his father until his old age, until the day he dies, and it may be years before it actually happens. And the son who does all of this has the right to inheritance, a big financial package that waited for him in the end. So what this person is saying is, Jesus, I don't know how long it'll take for my father to die, but when the old man kicks the bucket, I'll have some financial security. I'll then follow you because it'll be a lot easier. But now is not the time. Now is not the time. It's yet another excuse I hear very often. I'm busy with my career, enjoying my youth, raising my family, saving up for the future. When all of those responsibilities are over and I'm retired, I'll have more time to read the Bible, be part of a group, volunteer in the church, give more generously. Now is not the time. I want you to look at Jesus' response, verse 22. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. So that's a reference to those who are spiritually dead. So Jesus is highlighting to the man the urgency of his call. You are giving excuses to delay your commitment waiting for that one fine day when you will be ready. But that just doesn't work. And he says to all of us who give excuses, now is the time to follow me. Now is the time to surrender your life to me. Don't wait. Don't postpone this decision. This is the most important decision you will ever make in life. 
and all of those excuses. Let the spiritually dead worry about that. Let them take care of those things. You who are spiritually alive, focus on what is eternal, what really matters. To follow Jesus means giving up all other lesser loyalties. Your commitment to Jesus comes first. And that doesn't mean that we ignore our family, our personal responsibilities. It means we put Jesus above our family, our career, our hobbies, our finances, and the dreams and the visions we have for our life. All our other obligations flow out of that single obligation to serve and live for Christ. Through these two examples, we have seen how not to follow Jesus. Thankfully, we have a role model here in the Gospel of Matthew. And the role model is none other than the author of the book. And this is fascinating. Matthew is writing about himself, but he is not drawing attention, not putting the spotlight on him. In the entire book of Matthew, he makes reference to himself only twice. And they seem like passing references. That speaks of his humility. This guy is so down to earth. So look at Matthew 9, verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And just like that, just like that, Matthew got up and followed him. Matthew here is recollecting and writing about his own personal experience. Matthew, as the text says, was a tax collector. That was one of the most despised professions in those times. And I know we are not fond of the Canada Revenue Agency either, but we don't despise people who work for the CRA, but it was very different during Jesus' time. The tax collectors were Jewish people employed by the Roman government to collect taxes on their behalf. And they got a commission from whatever they collected, and that's how they made their living. Oh, by hook or crook, they took more than what was required and kept the extra for themselves. As a result, the tax collectors in that society were well off, wealthy. The rest of the people perceived them as traitors who had conspired with the enemy to exploit their own people. And interestingly, the tax collectors, even though they were Jewish, were made to stand in the outer court of the temple that belonged to the Gentiles. And synagogues just closed their doors on tax collectors. They were not allowed to enter inside. And oftentimes in the Gospels, you will see tax collectors were grouped with sinners and prostitutes. That's the only people who associated with them, the low lives of the society. 
Sure, Matthew must have heard about Jesus, his miracles, his teachings, and it aroused his curiosity. Deep inside, as a Jewish man, Matthew knew the Old Testament law and was well aware that he was not living a life honoring to God. There was something conflicting within him, something gnawing him on the inside. And one day, Jesus was walking past Matthew's tax booth and he couldn't believe what he heard. Matthew heard all kinds of passing comments that were rude, insulting, and judgmental. But that morning, the rabbi looks at him who was not even allowed into the synagogue. And the rabbi says, follow me. When someone says to you and me, follow me, what do you think is our immediate response? We would ask, where are you going? And you see, Matthew doesn't ask that question. He doesn't say to Jesus, Jesus, can you give me a blueprint for the next three years of my life as to where I'm headed? That'll help me to make up my mind. No. Discipleship is not about where we are going, but who we are going with. You're willing to go wherever Jesus takes you. You have to surrender all of your rights and allow Jesus to lead your life entirely. So Matthew's response is instantaneous. He gets up and obeys Jesus' words. When you think about the lives of the 12 apostles, Matthew was the one who sacrificed the most in following Jesus. He left behind a lucrative profession. Never went back to it. Never. The rest of the apostles tried their hand in fishing every now and then. Not Matthew. Didn't go back to his old profession. He gave up his comfort, his normal way of life. He gave up all his sins without asking any questions, making any demands, Matthew gets up and follows Jesus and there was no turning back. Wow. The tax collector understood what the religious scribe or the other would-be disciple failed to understand. And in doing so, Matthew becomes a role model for all of us. Let me say this in closing. If you choose to follow Jesus, He will have full claim over your life and He will make demands that are uncomfortable. We as preachers do you a big disservice when we sugarcoat the words of Jesus. I can tell you as I read the Gospels, Jesus will ask you to lay down your pride, ego, all bitterness and unforgiveness in your relationships and sacrificially 
love your family, your spouse, your kids, the people who are involved in your life. Jesus will challenge you to give generously, at times ridiculously, to bless others in need and not spend all of your money on yourself. Jesus will convict you to leave behind a sinful habit, break free from its stronghold and live a holy and righteous life. Jesus will prompt you to engage in conversations with your neighbors and co-workers and share the good news with them and open your home as a place for hospitality. Jesus will urge you to stop binge watching on Netflix and television and make constructive use of your time by reaching out to someone who's lonely during this COVID-19 crisis or visiting them, someone who's in need. He will encourage you to read his word and pray. And Jesus will be ruthless in exhorting you to not follow the patterns of this world, but live a countercultural life that is rooted in God's kingdom purposes. And let me say this, if your Jesus only blesses you and heals you and prospers you, but does not demand anything from you, then you are following the wrong Jesus. And if your Christian life is too comfortable, you need to stop and ask, as I have done this week, am I really following Jesus, listening to his voice, or am I just going through the motions? Discipleship is a daily, ongoing commitment to following Jesus. I don't know if you know this, this is a special weekend. If you follow the church calendar, this is the weekend we celebrate the day of Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the upper room 2,000 years ago. And if you're wondering, I want to follow Jesus, but I don't know if I have what it takes. That is why he gave us the Holy Spirit to empower us to do what we can never do in our own strength. When we are saturated by the Spirit, you receive power from on high to live the Christian life the way Jesus intended it to be. So ask the Lord today to fill you with His Spirit as you make a fresh commitment to embracing the life of discipleship. If God is leading someone to make a first-time commitment to follow Jesus, would you contact us to let us know? Because we would love to hear from you. You can chat with some of our staff team who are on the chat today and have a conversation with somebody. But do let us know. We want to hear from you. And that applies to those of you feel led to rededicating your life to following Jesus in the path of discipleship. I'm going to ask all of us to stand right now and join with our worship team in singing this song about the power and influence of the Holy Spirit.
that we all so desperately need today.